We are in a series in First Thessalonians. We've been there for a couple weeks. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we're going to step into this passage this morning regarding discipleship, which is largely what this book would be uh, targeting the teaching of young believers of uh, the things that God would want them to know, how to walk uh, maturely in Christ. And uh, the three-letter theme that runs throughout is grounded, growing, and glory, and grounded in the Lord, growing in the Lord, glory, the idea of what God has for us in our future. And so with these admonitions and teachings, there's going to be expectations of a disciples. Uh, what is it that God wants you to be? What is it that God wants you to do? In particular today, it's going to be understanding the church. And to say understanding the church, it has a very specific avenue in this passage today. Well, um, that last part of the prayer is going to take me down to a political avenue, and that is this. Uh, has nothing to do with the message in the sense of the doctrine here, but it has everything to do with how we approach what's here. Okay, now... I know this is political, what I'm going to say, um, but I've had some conversations this week, and uh, I uh, had someone say to me that they uh, are a believer, and they're voting for, and they told me who they're voting for, and then I'll tell you, so they're a believer, and they're voting for Joe Biden, and, and I said, I would like to know why. Okay, and I said, I'd like to hear your reasons why. So to be clear, this isn't a political platform, and I'm not here to talk about Trump and Biden, but I am talking about Biden. <laughs> <laughs> but his answer was a little, uh, it is what it is. Uh, his answer was he was voting for Biden because he believes that Trump is um, stirring up hatred in our country and that he saw um, the potential of a President Biden as being a president that would stir up love. And you have an opinion, I'll imagine, uh, about that. And I, I have a hard time um, with the idea that we would, as a believer, vote for anything that would continue uh, and support the idea of killing the unborn, of taking away uh, the freedoms to preach the gospel. Did you know? You, you wouldn't know. Um, on the way here this morning, I listened to a little news segment from a Christian radio station that said that China is doubling down on its persecution of Christians and shutting down the Christian movement in China, as you know, there are many house churches in China. The technology is such, not all over China, but the technology is such that with facial recognition, that many, there are places in China where they let you into your residence, like a, a big apartment complex, they let you into your residence by facial recognition. They show a chart that shows you how many visitors that they have to a particular residence. So if you have, uh, 
for our purposes here, we'll say if you have a Bible study and you've got a lot of people coming, uh, that becomes a marker to say, oh, something's going on there. Well, China's shutting those things down. China is in the process of removing steeples all over China. And they're setting themselves up by their uh, definition to be a bigger player in the world and suggested, not just suggested, but are following through with the sermons that pastors ought to be preaching ought to come from the speeches of their leader. So I was hearing that and I'm, I'm just, so I, my, my point in this again is not to be political. My, my point is to say this, reflecting the truths of the word of God a believer has to reconcile what God says, not to our liking, but what does God say? Isn't it possible that we can twist scripture to say anything? Isn't it possible that we can argue for anything we want? We can make the case. And we know our country is divided and we know that there is election coming up. And again, my point in all this was not to magnify Trump or Biden or vice versa, but simply to say as a believer, our worldview is the Bible. And not because we're better than anybody else, but because we love the Lord, we want to do what he says. And I'm going to say this is what the Holy Spirit motivates out of the heart of the believer and should. And I am going to go ahead and say my opinion that I don't believe any believer ought to be supporting, again, any platform that supports those things that I mentioned previously. Now, that being said, uh, we are looking at a passage this morning that I have to tell you would probably be one of the most uncomfortable passages that I would ever preach. And the reason it makes me uncomfortable is because while this is a context of discipleship, the discipleship avenue with which this passage speaks or arena in which it addresses is about the office of a pastor and the way we approach that position, uh, how we handle that position. And so what I want to do this morning is to delicately but on purpose remove myself from the situation in one sense. When I preach what I'm preaching now, I am preaching this for you for your next pastor. I am preaching this for you so that you will know what the Word of God says, for you never know what a church is going, to through, going through. Let me ask you, how many of you in this room have ever been in a church that did not have a pastor? Would you raise your hand? Okay, so spattering throughout the crowd. Uh, how many of you were in charge or partly involved with that process of finding a new pastor? Raise your hand. Okay, it's not an easy process, is it? It's not easy to go through that. Matter of fact, churches are going longer and longer um, and not being able to find pastors. So it's important that you know these things for you are potentially someday going to be in the process or in the position of calling a pastor to your ministry and you need to be scripturally equipped with how to do it and what your mindset should be. And even if that wasn't the case, this is important enough that God puts it in his word to say, I want to address to God's people their attitude towards their pastor or pastors. So let's start with this. 
don't we all want a perfect pastor? Do not say yes to that. <laughs> don't we all want a perfect pastor? Yes, I mean, don't we? I mean, it would be lovely to have a perfect pastor. <laughs> so, you maybe have heard it before, but I have the perfect pastor right here. All right? So, nobody knows where this came from. It just something that's been passed around for years. So, the perfect pastor. Number one, he preaches exactly 20 minutes and then sits down with a particular aversion to rabbits and rabbit trails. Two, he condemns sin, but softly as to never step on anyone's toes. Number three, he works from 8 in the morning to 10 at night, doing everything from preaching sermons to sweeping. Number four, he makes $400 a week, gives $100 to the church, drives a late model car, buys lots of books, wears fine clothes, and has a nice family. He always stands ready to contribute to every other good cause, too, and to help those seeking financial assistance that drop by the church on their way to somewhere. He is 36 years old and has 40 years' experience. He is tall, but on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and of course, handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown to fit whichever occasion most befits it, and wears his hair parted in the middle, left side dark and straight, right side brown and wavy. As you already see, I'm having struggles with this. <laughs> He has a burning desire to work with the youth and spends all of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face because he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day on church members, spends all his time evangelizing non-members, and is always found in his study if he is needed while not neglecting his family in any way. So, there's your perfect pastor. And um, obviously, nobody really has that in their mind. But we do um, have expectations. And we do have thoughts about the pastoral role. So let me ask you, can we be wrong about the way we view the pastor? This is an important question to ask. Can we be wrong about the way we view the pastor? Can the pastor be wrong about the way he views his office? Yeah. Anytime you have sinners involved, you can be going awry. You can miss the mark. You can uh, take a position you should not take. You can have an attitude you should not have. And in every which way. Okay? So it's important to be biblically based, to anchor everything that we know about what a pastor should be on the Bible. Now, we're in 1 Thessalonians 5, but that's not where we're going to start because I want to walk through some passages that talk about the role of a pastor, and I'm going to be fairly quick, so I may not wait for you to turn to these passages. If you want to write them down or the messages recorded, so you can find them, and if you're quick, you can find them. But here we go, uh, the established position of the pastor. It is a position that is established by the Lord as seen in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23 and Titus chapter 1 and verse 5. 
Acts 14, 23, and when they had ordained them elders, an elder is another name for pastor, when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So they ordained or established elders or pastors or bishops in every church, that there would be a leader, an administrator of those various local assemblies. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we read, For this cause left I thee in Crete, a city there, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee, that there would be pastors in various cities taking care of the various assemblies that were scattered throughout. Now, it's often also noteworthy to me uh, and this will come up later. I'm going to go ahead and say it, and maybe I'll get back to it with the time that we have. That there are many times believers that are not pastorable. That they have a view of the pastor role that prevents them from being pastored, and that comes in many different forms. Uh, sometimes people negate the role of a pastor, uh, and especially today, if you want to talk about the authority of a pastor. Uh, that is greatly diminished in many people's minds today, greatly diminished. Um, and I've often said that many times Christianity has adopted a pastor uh, with the mindset of he's kind of a spiritual Dr. Phil. Uh, you can come to him, here's what he got to say, and we'll just move on. Um, and, again, there are nuances that it'd be, it'd be a, it'd be a many-week study to break all this down, but simply to say that there was an administration of the church. My point is, there are some who so diminish the church and will not be a part of the organized church that they are negating this very office that God has ordained. Now, I know this gets dicey. I know it does. Um, people will make the argument that many of the churches met in homes uh, in the New Testament. And while churches met in homes... It is also true that God ordained elders in those places. And typically it wasn't an elder, as we can see, that was just meeting in an isolated home, but there was a gathering of believers in a city that somehow they came together. And that pastor provided direction and order uh, to what the churches did. So, so that it says uh, in Titus 1.5 that this is why uh, they were left in Crete that they would be establishing those positions, establishing those directors. Now, the qualifications I'm not going to go into so much this morning. I am going to come back to a passage that mentions them. For First Timothy chapter three verses one through seven, and Titus chapter one verses five through nine, are those passages that direct largely into the qualifications of a pastor. And to be sure, there are qualifications. Amen. There should be qualifications to be a pastor. It is particular to note that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the word that is used there is episkopos, and it is someone who is administratively an overseer. In Titus 1, 5 through 9, they're referred to as the presbyteros. Okay? So there are different titles. Uh, they are given to the church. Uh, they have qualifications and need to meet those qualifications. Uh, there are responsibilities that pastors are given. For this, I am going to ask you to start turning with me. 
Would you go to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read here, The elders which are, excuse me, which are among you I exhort, there's a challenge here about what they're supposed to be, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, I believe all those qualifications given in verse 1 are to be the undergirding with which these elders should be listening to this admonition or ex exhortation. Okay. So, verse 2, the admonition is first to do what? Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Now, to be clear, uh, the passages, we're not taking time to do this, and this is not my point of doing this this morning, but because it mentions it, it's worthy to take a note here. This passage is not advocating that pastors should not be paid because there are other passages uh, that make that clear. And we'll come to that in just a moment. But here's the, here's the weight of it. Whether you pay a pastor or not, he should be willing to be a pastor. Whether you pay him or not, his heart's desire is, I want to be a pastor. Whether he made enough or not enough, his heart is still going to be I want to be a shepherd of God's people because that's what's got, what God has called me to. So he doesn't take the office so that he can make money. He doesn't take the office so that he can um, somehow build uh, a wealth for himself. He takes the office as someone who has, in purpose of mind, my job is to declare, to use it in a different sense of scripture, to declare the oracles of God to declare the messages of God. That's what he does. And every Sunday, this is what I do. Every Sunday, I come before you with the word of God and we examine scripture and we lay out what does the scripture say, what does the scripture say, what does the scripture say. And then we come to an application after an understanding to say this is now then how this needs to live in my life. Okay? Flee the flock of God which is among you and you provide oversight to the church. And again, the spirit of it is not by, by constraint, but willingly. And again, not for money, but of a ready mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. This is a passage largely talking about discipleship as well. And we read in this passage that God gave pastors to a church amongst others. And I'm going to read that. And in the history of the church, he gave all these various things. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, I'm going to read that to you now. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Again, for what purpose? For the perfecting, and we know perfecting to be what? Perfecting means either completeness or the coming to maturity, the growing up, the walking as an, an adult Christian, adult spiritually, okay? for the perfecting of the saints, and further, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. 
So let's take a moment here just on this qualification or this understanding and note this as it regards pastors. There are many, please hear me on this because it's an important platform of discipleship in this body. There's, there is a part of church life where people believe if I'm going to see somebody saved, I need to get them under the teaching of the pastor. If somebody's going to get saved, I believe that I need to coordinate a meeting between my pastor and that person. If there are ministries that need to get done in the church, my pastor needs to lead it, needs to direct it. And I'm going to tell you, these mindsets are partly why, one, we don't see as many people saved, and two, why so many churches are smaller churches. Because we have put the load of ministry on a small group of people and say, if ministry is going to get done, they're the ones that are going to do it. Now, if you're a part of this church, you know that is not the platform of this ministry. We are a Holy Spirit-led ministry where we see ourselves as pastors, Pastor Phil and I in particular, see ourselves as pastors that are equipping and providing opportunity for God's people to follow God's leading in their lives to serve. In other words, God has given you unique abilities, unique calling, unique burden, and many of the ministries that happen in this church are not my idea. Many of the ministries that are happening in this church are born out of our people saying, I want to. I feel God is. And the pastors, I don't want to say getting out of the way, but the pastors clearing the way and supporting the way of getting that done. Can we all say amen to that? I hope you can because that's what ministry is supposed to do. Okay? So this is part of what they're doing. But it's oriented in the word of God, maturing the saints, equipping the saints to do the work of God. First Timothy 5. First Timothy 5. This is a passage that talks about finance or giving to pastors. No more sensitive subject in a church than what are you going to pay your pastor. Right? You guys want to talk about that? <clears throat> We're going to. It's interesting to me that churches can get really squirrely on this as if our Bibles don't say anything about it. Hello? Our Bibles say something about it. Okay? Now, I've been uniquely blessed because I'm getting to the place where I am an older pastor. I am not maybe old as some, but I'm older than being the guy who first started ministry back in 1994, okay? Now, what that gives me is some experience in almost every platform of ministry. I worked in ministry, like many of you, where I was a lay person and not fully employed by the church. I worked in ministry in many fashions where I was a part-time pastor. I worked in ministry where I had three jobs, where there were two other jobs and working as a pastor. I've, I've known that world. And in 2007, that world changed where this church took me on as a church plant, took me on as a full-time pastor. 
And so for that history now, from 2007 to the present, I've been employed by the church where the church has taken up the call to support our family. And I've known that world. So I've known all those different spectrums, okay? <clears throat> What's important to know here is that God says something about how you treat pastors. And this, I'm going to tell you, when it comes to pastors' salaries, I think we make it far more complicated many times than it should be. Uh, and I want to let you know that I have spoken to other churches about this, okay? So it's almost like I'd be stepping into this church and be a visiting speaker and saying, what should you do for your pastor? <clears throat> I know that's uncomfortable because I live here, and this is our church family. But I'm telling you what I would tell another church. I would turn to, to this passage, 1 Timothy 5, and it would at least be part of the platform that I would teach. In other words, when it comes to picking a pastor's salary, choosing a pastor's salary, I would look to the Word of God to give guidance. Now, the Word of God gives guidance. It doesn't tell you exactly what to do. Fair? But I'm telling you, when I've researched this, did you know that you can buy studies on what you should pay your pastor, <clears throat> and the studies are that thick of eight and a half, eleven, double-sided, of every different thing that you can survey about a pastor. Is your pastor male or female? Is your pastor Episcopalian or Baptist? Is your pastor a church of 50 or a church of 5,000? Is your pastor a suburban pastor? Is he rural? Is he city? You can ask all these different things, and, and we get it, and we somehow come to this number like it's a business sense. And, and I really think it becomes quite simple. Let's look at the passage, and here's what we read. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of what kind of honor? Double honor, especially they who labor in what? This is 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, especially those who labor in what? <clears throat> in the word and doctrine, which is the teaching of God's word. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And it goes on to say more. Now let me ask you this. Is the Bible clear on that? Did I, did I put it there? Am I wrong as a pastor to direct our church and the future pastors that will come to reference this passage? If you're going to look for guidance on what to do, the word of God needs to be that guide. And notice, no dollar figure was given. It says double honor. I, you're not going to like what I'm, I'm going to give you both gamuts, okay? And, and I'm not advocating for anything. Understand that. I'm just teaching. There are those that would say that what that means is you pay them double what you might think is a fair salary. Now, that being said, God's got to lead his people. I think, it's, I think it's the wisdom of God not to give a dollar amount. I think, I think that's God's wisdom. But I want to speak to some of the other side of this. Now, I haven't heard this many times in my life. Matter of fact, I've only heard it once, and it was a deacon that said it, not in this church. It was a deacon that said it. A deacon, when I was uh, early in ministry, said regarding a pastor's salary, we need to keep, this is literally what he said, we need to keep the pastor poor so that he will depend upon the Lord. And I'm just saying, that is the most unbiblical statement 
that I think you can make. And it's, I also believe that God works in a church that has that kind of an attitude uh, in ways to correct or rebuke. Now, can it be, can it go the other way and can it be a problem the other way? Well, the scriptures address that. So is a pastor always after uh, the sense of, I need to make more, need to make more, need to make more, need to make more. Is that the sense? This is what I've always said to the deacons. I'm glad, I'm glad when the church took us on full time that the church took us on full time. There have been times through the years where our family has tried to figure out what we can do and still stay full time. Stay full time. And they ask me, how are you doing, pastor? They ask me every year. And I, I believe you've always got to be honest. And, and there are times where I've said to the deacons, I believe that something needs to happen. Otherwise, I think I'm going to have to get a second job to make it work for our family. By the way, saying that means that if that's what we needed to do, that's what I would do. This church, is it always going to be just like it is? Is this church going to grow? Don't you hope this church grows? Is it true that sometimes the church does not grow? There's some problem in the church, and the church now drops to five families, two families, three families. What are you going to do? Well, you better, bless God, you better keep paying. I, you know what? If that's the spirit of your pastor, he, he needs to really get out of ministry because a pastor is going to serve no matter what the paycheck is, and he's going to go get other work if he needs to to take care of his family, and the two can live together. There are many churches where their pastors are today bivocational, and that's okay. It's better if they not be bivocational, but it's okay if they are. So what I'm saying is if this church dropped to down, down to whatever number of people and they could no longer afford the salaries that require our families to survive, then there are choices to make. And those choices that Pastor Phil would have and that I would have is, can I find other work so that I can continue to labor in my church and serve the Lord? And I'm going to tell you that that's how this church was started by both of your pastors who started this ministry. And, and if that's what it took, that's what it takes. It, it, it's churches and pastors are doing this all across the country. So the admonition of 1 Timothy 5, if I was speaking to another church and I was the guest speaker, I'd be saying this, do the best you can for your pastor. And as we're going to come back to our passage, know their needs. And when I say do the best you can, I would always encourage to do better than you think you can. Now, always it's got to match the numbers. You've got to be fiscally and financially <clears throat> responsible. But do it in the spirit of 1 Timothy chapter 5, okay? Is that uncomfortable? I hope not. It's, it's Bible. Now, what else is there guiding us in this study? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we come now to our passage of verse 12. So here we are anchored now in our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. By the way, listening to me? Do I have your hearts and minds? Are you with me? Are you with me? Hello? Okay. I want to tell you testimonially about Fellowship Baptist Church. 
You have a testimony of going above and beyond. You always have. So the giving at fellowship has always been above and beyond. You can know, I'm going to tell you pastorally, that you are living in the spirit of 1 Timothy chapter 5, where you are giving great honor, especially on how you take care of your pastors and how you evaluate that and how you are trying to do a great job. You are doing 1 Timothy chapter 5 well. Okay? Nobody is in a better position to say that than I am. <clears throat> because, A, I know what many other churches do, and I know what you've done for us. And I know that the Spirit is always there trying to do a great job, not because you think you need to pay your pastor more than anybody else, but because you want to honor the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think God blesses that. I believe God has blessed this church because of that. Now, that being said, our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, And we beseech you, brethren, speaking again to believers, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, to know them, I'm going to read for you not my words, but Barnes, who gives a pretty good statement, and it takes the monkey off my back to say it, and I'll let Barnes say it, okay? Barnes says, the word no seems to mean those that, uh, that they were not to make themselves strangers to them, to be cold and distant towards their pastors, to be ignorant of their needs, or to be indifferent to them. While a people are not obtrusively to intermeddle with the business of a minister any more than they are with that of any other man, yet there are things in regard to him, their pastor, which, with which they should be acquainted. They should seek to be personally acquainted with him and make him their confident counselor in their spiritual troubles. They should seek his friendship and endeavor to maintain all proper contact with him. They should not regard him as a distant man or as a stranger among them. They should so far understand his circumstances as to know what is uh, requisite to make him comfortable and should be on such terms that they may readily and cheerfully furnish that need, and they are to know or regard him as their spiritual teacher and ruler, not to be strangers to the place where he preaches the word of life, and not to listen to his admonitions and reproofs as those of a stranger, but as those of a pastor and friend. Now, that's a boatload of things to say, but let me help with this. Many times, we can get out of sorts about something in the church. And we will say, well, the pastor needs to be this, or the pastor needs to do that, or the pastor should, or the pastor this and that. And then we adopt an attitude of offense, and we build a wall, and we are willing to stay within an assembly at discord with the spiritual overseer of that assembly and think that God will turn his eye toward, against it or turn his eye away from it, ignore it, and that the church will be healthy. Now, this passage says, brethren, we beseech you to know them. To know them means, I think, all that Barnes has said, but it means that you have an affectionate regard and intimacy with your pastor where there is a free course, a free discourse amongst ourselves. Now, let me ask you, can you be as intimate 
in knowledge and understanding with your pastor as you are with everybody else in the ministry? And I would tell you, no. The people that you spend more time with are the people that you're going to know better. And that's okay. It's how the body of Christ works. But a body with their pastor stays connected in a friendly heart to receive the messages of the word of God. There have been times in ministry where I have, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you how I approach this. So you got to stay with me because I don't want to be offensive, but I want to say the truth and applicationally, this is what we do in this ministry. There are times where young people, and I don't, I don't pretend to know their motives, and not just young people, but there have been times in ministry where people have chosen not to be in the service of preaching, and they will find something else to do, something else to do, something else to do, and I'm telling you that's not healthy. And so because of that, we purposely, especially with our young people, rotate and transition them so that they don't spend most of their time out of this room but can be in here and get the word of God, hear the word of God, be under the word of God. And there are times when people say, well, I don't like the pastor did this or I don't like the pastor did that. And instead of making sure that there is clearness and friendliness and open uh, love, which we're gonna come to in a moment, there is the avoiding of the preaching by that preacher. And I'm telling you, God doesn't bless it, God rebukes it, and it's not right. Now, I've often said this, and I'm going to tell you as an illustration so that you'll understand how far it can go and how devastating it can be. One of the earliest pastors that I worked with used to walk to the pulpit from the entry of the back doors, walk into a hallway, then a long hallway, in essence, before he walked to the auditorium. There were problems in the church. They had a Christian school, and the pastor wanted to move away from the Christian school, and that put him at odds with some of the people, so much so that instead of finding God's will on it, what would happen is the pastor on his way to walking to the pulpit would walk by a member of the church. They would turn their face to the wall, not answer his good morning, and let him walk by silently to give him the what? What they give him? They gave him the cold shoulder. To think that God is going to bless that is delusional. As a result, the pastor wound up resigning after about a year and a half or two years of my being there. He became a casualty. He still has served God these many years. He's a faithful servant. He is not perfect. Have mercy. Uh, He was not 36 years old. And he was too skinny but fat. And he had dark hair that was not gray enough. He and I did not agree. I was his associate pastor. We did not agree on everything. And what I'm trying to tell you is I believe these pastors far before I ever became your pastor. And I honored that man because he was a man of God. And pastors aren't right about everything. This is why we're a partnership. We listen to each other. We cannot listen to each other if we're not friends. And I'm telling you, people ought to be friends with their pastor, and pastor ought to be friends with their people. And I'm going to say that this way. Listen, there are people in this church that want to be close to me, and I want to be close to them. We have spent years together, and yet there are times where we have not been in each other's houses for years. 
Doesn't mean that we don't love each other. No. Doesn't mean that we somehow aren't close to each other. No. Most of our time that we spend together happens right here. It's when the ecclesia, come, the called out ones, come together and we see each other eye to eye. And we love each other. And we talk to each other. And we pursue God together. That's the spirit that has to be in the life of the church. Here's what I'm saying. Listen, this passage in particular is not talking to pastors. It's talking to the people. Now, I own that there are many pastors that talk to my responsibilities or the responsibilities of who fills this pulpit, but this is an admonition for God's people. And he says, know them which labor among you, and he says, are over you in the Lord. Nobody likes this when it finally comes to doing it. If I was going to add anything to the perfect pastor, I would add... He'd be a pastor that was very decisive in his leadership, but never used it. And I'm going to tell you that I, I do strain at this over the church. I have strained for many years to live in that dichotomy of, one, because of Ephesians 4, I don't believe it's appropriate that a, a pastor should be a micromanager. If you're involved with the ministry and you're doing a ministry, we're going to seek counsel together, but largely you're doing your ministry. I think largely you can ask the people of this church when they're in charge of a ministry, there are times that I provide leadership in that, but most of the time they're doing their leadership. But I can tell you where the rub comes is when you adopt a mentality that my pastor cannot provide oversight in my ministry or can disagree with me about what we're going to do, provide different direction, I don't like it, I'm out of here. I'm going to tell you that that's not of God either. A pastor has to provide oversight of the ministry. This is what I say. I don't want to do everything there is to do in ministry because I can't. You better be glad there's a pastor Phil because he knows stuff I don't know. He does stuff I can't do. I'd love to say there are things I can do that he can't, but I don't know what that is. So, <laughs> um, he can grow a beard. I can't. I mean... That's God's blessing already. I mean, I'm out. But it is not micromanagement to step in and provide oversight. It is not micromanagement to step in and say, this ministry is going in a different direction because of this. This is where we're going. And I know that means a change. And, and, and by the way, this happens in conversation. This happens as a body discusses those things together. It is not good leadership, and by the way, I probably have done it through the years. I try not to, but it's never good leadership to step in somebody's ministry, have already made up your mind and say, this is where we're going, get on board. It's better to have that conversation. Find God's mind on it, seek it together, and come to an agreement about what God wants to do. But there are times where a pastor has to provide that direction and this over you in the Lord is an order in the church. There is an under-shepherd. His role is pastor. And that under-shepherd provides that direction for the ministry. Our Constitution says this very thing, that the pastor will have the oversight of the spiritual welfare of the, of the assembly. Loosely quoted, but that's the idea. Now, a good pastor, I believe, is going to try to do that 
in harmony with listening to and in partnership with God's people. But let me ask you something. Do you suppose in this assembly that there's more than one opinion? I'm serious about this. One of the hardest things I ever do is here's someone's opinion that's on this place on this issue. Here's somebody that's on this place on this issue. And both of them want their way and will not be happy unless I do what they say. And humbly, look, we are just people trying to serve God together. We beg the wisdom of God. We beg the mind of God. But this is not a one-way street. We do it together. But here's what I want to say. This over you in the Lord, hear me well. This is designated by God and has parameters. It is designated by God and has parameters. The role of a pastor is to provide spiritual leadership to the assembly, the administrative oversight, and largely under the direction of the Word of God to teach, to preach, to be doctrinally anchored on what the Bible says. That will never come into a greater rub until there's a difference of opinion. And then when that happens, we start to make accusations of, he's a micromanager. He's a dictator. When I hear those things, you with me? Stay with me. When I hear those things, what I hear is we are not, first of all, loving each other like God says, and we're not acting as friends. It doesn't mean we're not friends, but we're not acting like it. This over you in the Lord has parameters. The parameter is in 1 Peter 5, 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. A pastor doesn't manhandle you when he has a preference to do something. But do you know where great authority does come in to the pastor? Is when he's rebuking something that is wrong or admonishing something that needs to change or exhorting to do that which is right. And when that happens, this is, now I, I have to, I'm going to go back in history I have served, I've been, I've been with you, I've been a layperson, I've been a servant in the church as a layperson, and I've been an, an associate pastor, I've been a youth pastor, I've been in music, I've, been, I've done all those things, and this was my spirit on how I approached that role of pastor. If my pastor was not doing something unbiblical, and he felt like God wanted us to do something My position on that was whatever the pastor wanted to do that was directing the spiritual welfare or ministry of the church, if he needed my support, he had it. Because I wanted to help do whatever he thought the church needed to do. And I see that as a pretty scriptural position. But he is not a lord over God's assembly. He is not the one that is making you Feel his dominance. Feel his big role. Feel his, I often say it this way, that big dog in the assembly. That mentality is not qualified by 1 Peter 
Now, it says this, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. The laboring among you is this is someone who's rubbing shoulders with you in the ministry. And this is why, are you with me? Okay. This is why I believe the pastor needs to know everything that's happening in the ministry. But he doesn't need to be the leader of every ministry in the sense that he is the one that's making it happen. He's the one that's uh, directing everything that's going on in it. But he needs to know. And you can ask our people. One of, the, one of the things that I push for on a regular basis is talk to me so I don't find out afterwards because when we don't communicate well, problems happen. And by the way, from time to time, it happens the other way where I will do something and I didn't communicate well and I stepped over somebody's what they were already going to do. So we have to labor together. And when we don't, problems happen. And, and here's the truth of it. When we labor, it doesn't matter whose idea it was. It matters that we're doing it for God's glory. It matters that it's about him. Do you know, I mean, seriously, folks, if God blesses this assembly, and I own this with all, all that I am, if God blesses this assembly, and if the Lord Christ tarries, there is going to come a day in this church where people will never know who I was. And that's okay. It's okay. We want them to rally around Jesus. Not a picture on a wall. Not a plaque of, of, of somebody. We rally around Christ. Now, they labor among us. We are working together. They are scripturally over God's assembly in the Lord. They provide that structure to the church. But then they do these things as well. They admonish. And that admonishment is to challenge God's people to rise to the calling or the high calling of being Christ-like and living our lives for the glory of God. There are two quick passages I want to look to in that, and one is, they're both in Hebrews 13. One is verse 7, and one is verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and 17. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So there is a teaching of the word of God. There is obviously a dwelling together where when you consider the end of their conversation, you're looking at the whole of who that person is in their life. But to remember them was the idea of showing a reverence and a respect. Now, by the way, I'll just mention this just as a side note. Um, people get all hung up on what people call one another. Um, you know, do you call me Pastor Jeff? Do you call me Pastor Estes? Do you, 
Uh, my favorite term is most holy one. Um, um, preferably reverend, oh thou must holy one, something like that. It, it's the fact, there are people who call me Jeff, people I'm sure that call Pastor Phil, Phil, listen, I don't know that that matters so much. I have always been raised under, I, pur- I purposely call Pastor Phil, not all the time, but when we're alone, um, I probably reference him most often as Phil. But I many times have his title in front of him because in my mind, it helps me to remember who he is and what he's doing and what his position is. And I know that when I say it, I am purposely, in my mind, I am purposely affording him respect. And I say, particularly me, because as senior pastor here, I, I want to acknowledge what he's doing here. That he's not just someone that's working around the building and doing stuff, but he is a fellow shepherd. So it's, I do it for that reason. Now, careful, I'm not telling you, if you're, I'm not telling you don't call me Jeff. I'm glad people talk to me at all. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 13, 7, remember them. Hebrews 13, 17, harder yet. Harder yet, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Hello, is that hard? Is this, is this a blanket statement that you, you never do this? Is there, is there, in other words, you always obey the pastor, period. Well, it's not a trick question. If a pastor is being unbiblical, you can't stand there. That becomes a place of doctrinal difference, okay? And I think it really behooves us to know what kind of church you're in. All right, you ready for an illustration? It's, uh, it's may make somebody mad here, but here you go. So the first pastor I worked with uh, full-time, he had somebody walk into the church, and their church's tradition was to put up a Christmas tree. Now, it didn't have Santa Claus and didn't have any of the Santa Clausy things, but it was a Christmas tree, and it was deco- decorated like a Christmas tree. Well, there are some people that came in, and they didn't like that. And they went to the pastor and said, we don't like it. And the pa- pastor said, well, I appreciate that. And he gave his reasons why he didn't think it was an issue. They came back to him again and said, no, pastor, I'm, I'm still bothered by this. And he listened and draw a line in the sand, but he said, no, I understand. This is our people, our people, and it's our doctrinal position on it, and I appreciate that, but we don't have, they came back a third time. And pastor said this, and this is where people get, you know, I I don't like that kind of pastor. Well, he said, well, listen, I've heard you, and I hope you've heard me. Our church does not have a problem with that. You have to decide, is that enough for you to break fellowship? it's based on doctrine. Your doctrine's different on this area. But what, it, and I appreciate what he said because here's, here's the truth of it. What was not tolerable is to have a difference of doctrinal opinion where you can't give grace one to another and say, he's different than I am, I'm mad. Or, in their position, I believe he's doctrinally different, he's in doctrinal error, and I'm going to stay in the church and I'm going to be a problem in the church. Now, let me, let me tell you how this works the other way. I recently talked to a pastor, or I didn't talk to him. I talked to 
um, a leader that was involved with that ministry. <clears throat> and since the inception of that church, and, and by the way, we're going to end on this point, but I need everybody's attention. Okay? This church I'm speaking of was started as an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church. Okay? The pastor that was ministering in that church turned it over to a younger pastor. And that younger pastor directed in that church to change it from an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing church to a Reformed Baptist church. Listen to me. It's one thing for a pastor to start a ministry, which is what Pastor Chris and I in partnership, along with several families, that's what happened here. But there's going to come a day where I'm not here and you need to be careful that the pastor that takes this pulpit does not unethically change who that church is by the power of the pulpit. I'm telling you, I believe that pastor who took that church knowing what it was and knowing his doctrine was different was unethical. He did the wrong thing. Now, it's one thing that the pastor says, hey, I don't believe that we should meeting to be meeting together for Sunday nights. Instead, I want to do home Bible studies. That's one thing. But it's another thing to change the doctrine of the church. And it's unethical for a pastor to step in the pulpit and do that. Now, the point of all this is that we obey the pastor we obey the elder, the bishop, the presbyteros. We obey them that have the rule over us and submit ourselves to them. And here's what it says. And I, I think that we forget the rest, part, the rest of this. For they watch what? For your souls. Now, it doesn't end there. As they that what? as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy <clears throat> and not with grief. An interesting application of this is it says, for that is, not, for that is unprofitable for you. So I want to be clear about this and in your discipleship of this and you're tucking this away for your own use. It's important to know that the pastor has to do what he believes the Bible says and has to be not afraid to say it. Now, because I'm holding this pulpit, I'm going to follow that up with saying, I may not like having to address the office of the pastor because I fill that role, but it would be doctrinally scripturally wrong for me to fly past this because it makes me uncomfortable. It would be wrong in a disservice to God's people to say, I can't preach that because that involves the role of what I fill. Or I don't like that doctrine, so I, 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 you know, I, I'm going to skip that passage. A pastor 
needs to the best of his ability and humbly dependent upon God to speak the word of God without regard to whether people will praise him or hate him. So this pulpit, there ought to be a perspective in point where this pulpit, while we work in partnership, this pulpit is unswayable from the whole counsel of the word of God. Now, whether you know it or not, if you're a visitor here, this is what we do on a regular basis. And what it means is when we come together, we open up the Word of God, we look at what the Word of God says. In this service, we've looked at verses 12 and 13. And we've cross-referenced other, actually 12, uh, and looked at other verses to see what the whole counsel of the Word of God is on that teaching. And that's what we're going to do every Sunday. I, I'm going to tell you this. The growth of this church is entirely dependent upon God. As a pastor, my heart's desire is to not in any way compromise the message of this pulpit. It's my heart's desire in, in what we do to teach all of what God says. Are, and again, are there differences of opinion on various passages? Yes. But brethren, we have got to dwell with each other in a way that reflects Christ. And that's going to come up in verses 13 through 15, which follow. So this morning, verse 12 sets the stage for, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, but now we are going to come into verse 13 and following that give us further instruction of how does a believer live in a church. And let me say, every pastor that I've ever worked with has been flawed. Every, including myself, all had our own personalities and issues. And guess what? Every one of them, a sinner saved by grace. Be clear. Because this false standard becomes the division of so many churches. I'm going to steal from next week's statement and say it again next week. The Bible Knowledge Commentary stated this way, Much dissension in the modern church is traceable to church members disobeying these commands. I'm convinced, let's put it this way. Let's, let's say it like this. Do you want to be wrong about the Bible? I know your answer. No, you don't. It matters to you. I don't want to be wrong about the Bible. It matters to me. I believe that some questions we're not going to have answered until when. Do any of you want to stand before God and say, hear God say, now come on. How you landed there, I will never know. Have you ever had that position of authority appropriately look at you and go, come on. 
What were you doing? I really don't want to stand before the Lord and have gotten it wrong. As much as I love you, and I do, and as much as I'm accountable to you, and I am, if I started preaching false doctrine, it is this church that will stand by the stuff. But my greatest admonition is I'm going to stand before God, and that, I'm going to tell you, it scares me. It scares me. It's enough sometimes to say, Lord, maybe somebody else should do this. Lord, here we are making a decision. There's so many opinions. By the way, is that in the world today? And the arrogance and the audacity that's out there. I heard pastor just yesterday lambasting every other pastor because they didn't land where he did on a divisive issue in our society. He questioned their character, their motivations, called them all kinds of names. And I'm thinking, I'm hearing you, but I'm not hearing the Bible, and I'm seeing everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Now, if what someone says lines up with the Word of God, great, but that particular pastor in that issue was twisting all sorts of Scripture. So humbly, I recognize that I could do that. And what I'm telling you folks this morning, I don't have an agenda, and I don't want whoever the pastor is behind this pulpit to have an agenda where my agenda matters more to me than what the Word of God says. So you pray for this pulpit. You pray that this is a place where we can continue to open the Word of God and say what the Bible says. You pray for the people that in this history and in the history of the future to come or, the, or what's to come, that this will be a place that stands continually on the Word of God. And here's the thing, folks. Churches are dropping everywhere. We frankly need a lot more of them than we have. And I would argue that everything in the world is fighting against the church, and the only reason that there's really a church is because it's the Lord who's building it. Now, I pray this often. I would commend it to your consideration. Lord, help me not to get in the way. Help me not to be one in any way that would harm, destroy, bring a, bring a black mark on the name of the church. Now, I should be done, but I'm going to follow this up with one last thing. We're going to have a business meeting tonight. And business meetings, in my opinion, should always be, hear me, always be joy-filled occasions. Always. Always. We should so desire the word and will of God on matters 
that we seek unity with all that we are. Hello? I'm reminded of the first pastor that I had in my life spiritually who gave me the gospel. One Sunday night, not knowing much about church, I didn't know what was going on. Somebody got up after the service. They moved to the front of the church. They had already prayed, said amen. And this person was at the front of the church. And he said, I want everybody's attention. The pastor was at the pulpit like I am. And he looks down at this gentleman. The gentleman from that moment began to accuse the pastor of all kinds of things. And let me just give you one. He accused the pastor of hiding things that were going on financially in the church. Now, I was a young believer. And when I saw this guy stand in front of the church, the family that was discipling me, I knew that this was not normal. And I knew that it was what a fight was born out of. So I moved to the edge of my seat and I looked down both sides kind of excited like, what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you that what he accused the pastor of had no grounding whatsoever. The finances of the church, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know if it's because of this reason, but the finances of the church are done here very similar to what they were done in the church. I got saved in when I didn't even know about it. And that was there's a book in the back and anybody can see what's going on in the finances every week. The truth is that guy had a burr under his saddle he was mad at the pastor for whatever, and he took an occasion in the church to stand up in front of everybody and to disrespect his office and his person. I'm going to tell you something about that. No good thing came of it. And what I'm saying is I don't, a business meeting, talking in the foyer, talking outside the building, there's no parenthetical in the Bible that says now we can be carnal. Now we cannot care about the mind of God. Now we cannot mind about loving each other. Now we cannot worry about being friends. Now we cannot worry about living peaceably with each other. Now is a good time to say something bad about this person. Now is a good time to say something bad about that. There is no parenthetical in the scripture that allows for that. And all God's people said. So the pastor can do it because he's a person, a deacon can do it, because they're people, a Sunday school teacher can do it, a nursery worker can do it, a passerby can do it. But in this teaching, we have decisions to make. And while I've taken time to teach this this morning, I'm teaching it not for today. And by the way, because there's a business meeting tonight, isn't why I'm teaching this. So I don't Tonight's a, it's a good meeting. There are good things happening. There are great things happening. But I'm preaching it for the future of this church as well, that as God's people, we will understand this teaching and live by it. That God would bless his church, that God would build his church, and that we would make an agreement with one another to love him most of all, love each other, and until we get to glory where everything is perfect, Let's humbly seek and humbly serve him together.